What's up, y'all? Y'all doing good this morning? Man, such a sweet presence of the Lord here this morning. I believe that, uh, man, if you'll open your hearts, I believe he can do some life changing. How many of you know that there's some things that only God can do? You know, and, uh, and that's why I love getting together with the body of Christ and worshiping Jesus because it gives me a chance to get some things out of the column that I keep trying to fix and put it back in his column. And you know what? I believe that he's able fix some things and do some things. He can touch things in our heart that we didn't even know were wrong and, uh, and just do some healing and doing some things that only he can do. I believe he wants to do that today, uh, minister to us. Um, I want to do something real quick. I want to uh, just honor Pastor Brett and Lisa and, uh, and the team, just a phenomenal church and uh, just have always um, loved their heart for people and for the Lord and uh, the, just their flow with the Holy Spirit and just their authenticity. And, uh, you know, in a world and in an era of time where it's sometimes hard to find the real, I know you know this, but you've got pastors who are super authentic and real and, uh, and who love people. Amen. And I believe it's in their family. It's in, their, it's in the team here. And, and, uh, and that's why we love this place and coming here because it's such a kindred heart to, to what we feel like ministry is. I want to also... Uh, just honor my wife, Casey, who's with me. Uh, we actually just spent a few days in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, uh, and if you've never been there, you got to go check that out. It is absolutely breathtaking. And, uh, but we got to spend five days there. But love hanging out. She's my best friend. And uh, we got to get away from the kids. And uh, which us men, you know, we, we don't mind. You know, we, we just put them in a cage somewhere and put some food in there. And they'll be all right for a week. And uh, I appreciate her coming along with me for the ride and, uh, and being. And, uh, but she's just beautiful, amazing. And we've got three wonderful kids, um, Connor, Ryan, and Brady. And they've been here before and, and, and love this place. And they actually usually come with us most of the time whenever we come. They come with us. Um, but they're getting older, and so they're running all over the place and doing things all over the place. Uh, I got my oldest is in college now, and um, Ryan, our middle daughter, she's in soccer and does things with the football team, and Brady's playing football, and so it's a little bit more difficult to travel with them, and they got things going on. So anyway, but just love them and just grateful that we're able to be here. Um, pastor Glenn Rogers, my pastor, was here just a few weeks ago. And uh, I know y'all had a wonderful time with him. He's one of the greatest men I know and, uh, and just, um, uh, just wonderful, sweet man. I'm grateful for all that he's done and poured into our life and always want to give him honor too whenever I can because he's just amazing. And, uh, and so um, I'm excited too about the Holy Spirit being here. I believe he's got something to say as well. Listen, if you would, I want you to open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 3 and... Um, 
we, we are in a series at our church um, back home in, um, in Mansfield, Louisiana. Uh, we're we're at, in a series back home called Last Things. And it really fits well with, I believe, what you guys are in right now on being prepared. And um, our series that we've done is called Last Things, um, which is actually what the book of Revelation means. The, the word revelation um, is, actually means last things. And, uh, and it's the very last words of Jesus to the Apostle John, who was uh, exiled to the island Patmos. And uh, the, the cool thing about, I say the cool thing, extraordinary thing about John, they say, you know, John wasn't martyred, um, but that didn't keep them from trying. He was actually on the island Patmos after they tried to execute him by burning him in a vat of oil. And, uh, and he survived. And uh, they couldn't kill him. So they said, well, we're just going to get rid of you. And while he was there in exile, he had a revelation. Jesus appeared to him and began to give him this revelation of himself. Um, the book of Revelation is actually not just about uh, what we're to expect God to be doing in the last days. A lot of the book of Revelation is what he expects us to be doing in the last days. And, and, and in particularly, as it opens, reveals Jesus Christ as our overcomer and all these wonderful illustrations and characteristics of Jesus, but then it gets into these seven letters to the seven churches. And so I want to dive into one of those today. So it's going to be a little incomplete as a whole, um, but I think there's some great things that we can get from this letter today. And then I want to encourage you, if you'd like to hear more of the series, you can go to our website or you can go to our Facebook page We've got a whole teaching team that's been covering these seven letters. They're actually finishing up today on the church of Laodicea, and uh, it's really been cool. I've never taught on all seven churches before, and uh, we've taught maybe a little bit as a whole, as a, as a group, but I've never gone through and just dissected every church that, that um, they wrote a letter to, that Jesus was writing a letter to in these seven cities. And, uh, and so it's really extraordinary, and it'll help you pick up maybe some of the details I don't have time to cover today, but today... I want to I want to I want to teach a message today or, or share a message called Dear Sardis. Dear Sardis. Sardis is one of the seven churches that we find in Revelation 2 and 3. And uh, how many of you know we live in a time right now where people are really questioning a lot of end times things. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that we are seeing amplify in our life and in our world right now that has people's attention whether you're a believer or not. It has the attention of humanity like no other time, especially in America where we've experienced a really blessed um, couple hundred of ye a couple hundred years where there hasn't been a whole lot of persecution, there hasn't been a whole lot of disruption in our faith and in our freedoms. And now all of a sudden we roll into 2020 and it's been a crazy year and we're seeing things over the last probably decade where we've seen things begin to stir and begin to amplify. And now more than ever, we're seeing an amplification in the United States like we've never seen before of evil, of demonic activity, of an agenda that is now being exposed. And most people, if you've spent time in the church for very long, then you, you, you're aware of a lot of the things that are happening. I do want to caution us, though, that as we, as we dive into eschatology and you dive into end times messages and you dive into trying to understand what's going on we have to be careful that we don't filter everything through the american church's eyes number one you do know there's a church in china there's a church in iran right there's a church 
uh, in Brazil. There's a church in Mexico. There's a church in the Congo of Africa who've been suffering for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Some of them have been in under persecution and under communist rule, and there's been all kinds of crazy things happening to the body of Christ globally. We have to be really careful that just because now things have crept into our sphere or on our doorstep that we don't all of a sudden amplify it and get worried and think that all of a sudden now it's time for the end to come. Can I get an amen? Because there's a church all over the world who's been experiencing things um, that we're just now maybe getting to taste a little bit. And then the other thing, too, is, is to remember that um, as we talk about last things and we talk about the end and we talk about things like that, that it's not meant to bring fear, but it's meant to bring hope and encouragement. Remember this, that Jesus' return is not about judgment, it's about his bride. I want to say that again. Sometimes when you read the book of Revelation or you read the book of Daniel or you read some of the last statements from the apostles and warning of last days and you can read about the wrath of God or you can read about judgment on sin, you can read about all these things and sometimes our attention goes to this great moment of history where Jesus wants to come back and crush everything that's not godly and that's not the whole point at all. The whole point is, is Jesus is coming back for me and you. He's consumed with a love affair for his bride. Matter of fact, the very first letter to the city of, uh, to the church in Ephesus was a love letter. It was a letter to say, hey, you've lost your first love. It was, it was a letter as if a husband was writing to his bride saying, you've turned on me. You, you're still doing everything right, but you don't have a love for me anymore. So his, his whole his whole focus right now as he's looking down on his church globally is not one of wanting to punish or destroy. It's a love affair with his bride, and he's wanting to present this radiant, glorious bride to himself. So as we talk about being prepared, there is some things I think would be wise for us to heed and to hear. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation says that those that will listen, those that have ears to hear, if they'll hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, they'll be blessed. And that there's this preparation that we need to kind of embark on, I think, to make sure that we are preparing ourselves like a bride would prepare, would prepare herself for that wedding day between her and her groomsmen, between her and her groom. I believe that we ought to be, as the church, preparing ourselves for his return. And I think that this message for the church, church in America, for all of us, is more needed right now than ever before. And it's not because I feel like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. He could. But it's because I feel like it's the what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the body of Christ globally is it's time to begin to turn our attention to It's not an accident that our minds and hearts are gripped by what's going on. But we have to listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying in this time so that we respond correctly, so that we don't get in fear. If you're in fear today, then that may be a good indication that you or I, if we're in fear today, then we need to align and do some inventory and say, why am I so fearful of this? Am I right with the Lord? Do I have things in the right order in my life? Are my priorities right? Why am I so fearful about Jesus coming back? Because the church shouldn't be fearful. We should be joyful. Amen? I want to I read Revelation 3. I'm going to get there real quick. Revelation 3. We're going to read 1 through 6, and then I'm just going to give you a couple of highlights. I'm not going to dissect this and get into a, a ton of things, but we want to just give a couple of highlights today. Revelation 3, 1, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Now, 
When it says to the angel of the church of Sardis, what he's writing, all of the letters start with this statement, to the angel of. That angel is not a spiritual being. Most Bible scholars and people that write commentary that are really smart, they believe that that angel is the pastor or the overseer of that church in that city. So when it says to the angel, it's saying, write this letter to the pastor or the overseer of this church. Okay? And then it says, um, it says, write this, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, if you go back and read the, the chapter one, there's this description of Jesus and it has different characteristics. And one of those is, is that he's holding seven stars in his right hand. And that's a, that's a significant imagery of Jesus holding the church. When it says he holds the seven spirits and he holds the seven stars, it literally just simply means he's holding the church in his right hand. Aren't you glad that he still has the church? That in, as we embark into end times and it amplifies, one thing we always have to remember as we're being prepared is don't forget that Jesus is holding the church. It's his church. People have been trying to, listen, the enemy has been trying to kill the church and destroy the church for thousands of years, and it hasn't worked. And you know why? Because it's his church. And, and, and the Lord does not take lightly the persecution or the trials or the pressure or the things that are going on in our world, the things that are happening around us. Don't think that he's just playing chess. He is holding the church in his right hand, which also the right hand in the Bible represents authority. So when he says, I'm holding the church in my right hand, when I'm holding the, the, the things that the church is, is, that I'm calling you to do, I'm holding you with my authority. Amen? And it says, he's holding the church, he's got the church. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now the church in Sardis is really unique because all the other churches received a lot more affirmation than Sardis did. They received a lot of more kind of, have you ever learned the art of conflict? Have you ever learned that, that as a leader, as a boss, or even as parenting, as you're encouraging your kids and you're trying to, you know, to bring some correction, they say the first thing you should always do is just start with a little affirmation, right? You know, you're so handsome. You know, you're, 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 you got a great personality. You got a lot of things going for you, right? You start off with a little fluff, you know, at the beginning. And then you bring a little correction, you know, but I've got this. If you go and read the rest of these letters, that's kind of what Jesus does. He brings some affirmation. I know your works. You've, you've been doing great. And, you know, you've been uh, uh, suffering some persecution. You've endured. And, you know, you've been testing the apostles and those that claim to be apostles. And you've even found that some of them are false and you've gotten rid of them. And, I mean, in all the other cities, he has all this fluff. And then he says, but I have this against you. Now, there's two cities that he didn't rebuke, and it's Smyrna and Philadelphia. But this city is kind of unique because there's no fluff at the beginning. There is no real affirmation. He says, I know your works, but he didn't go into anything. He immediately goes into, you have a reputation of being alive, but that's not true. So he all, he's beginning to deal with something that he wants to get right in the church. Now, one thing I do want you to understand as we talk about this church, if you go back and look at all seven, it would be appropriate for us as the body of Christ to take the message to the seven as one whole message to the body of Christ. I know we want to try to dissect and say, well, 
you know, that's about an era of time or that's a geographical location or that's to the church in Iran or that's the one to America. I don't know what your eschatological view is, but I do want you to know that there's a reason why there's seven cities, seven churches, because the number seven is the number for completeness in, in, in the Bible. And what I believe that he's trying to say is, is that if you'll read these seven letters and listen to what I have to say to the body of Christ, it applies to the body of Christ as a whole. All over the world, we have to hear this and understand what the Spirit of God is saying. Amen? And so he's speaking to the church of Sardis, and he says, you know what? You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And then he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know the hour I will come against you. Yet you will still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the churches. I want, to, I want to give you a couple of things, if you're taking notes, that you can write down that I, I think will help you dissect this letter and maybe some highlights of things that the Lord's wanting us to hear. The first thing is, is, dear Sardis, you're religious, but you're not real. You're religious, but you're not real. I, I, let me just say this, too, as a disclaimer. This is kind of a hard message. I know it is. It's, it's not one that is easy to teach or say because it's, it can, it can come across kind of heavy. And, um, and, and I just want you to know that there is some things that we need to hear as the body of Christ that aren't always fluffy and feel good, right? That we shouldn't always walk out of church thinking everything's okay because the Holy Spirit wants to do some things in our life to correct some things, amen? It's not my job to correct, and so I don't know you, and, and, and I don't know what's going on in your life, and I'm definitely not going to, be condemning or try to sh be shameful in any way, but I do want us to lean in. If the Holy Spirit's dealing with something during this message, we need to hear. Amen? There's some things that we need to hear, not just want to hear. Matter of fact, Paul gave Timothy instruction. He said there's going to be a season of time in the last days that people are going to turn away from sound doctrine, and they're actually going to turn their ears to preachers who tickle their ear or make that say things that they want to hear. And he said, and, and so there was a warning even in the body of Christ. I believe that we see that not just, you know, at one particular church or one person. Be careful. Don't be critical of preachers and people that you see because you never know the whole story and what's going on. But there is a culture in church, especially westernized church, where we turn towards things that make us feel good. We shop for church. We shop around and want the best fit. And sometimes it doesn't always feel good to be in church because when there's things that are out of line, the Holy Spirit's job is to come in and to let me know some things are off. Amen? And I need to respond to that. But that's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. That's actually God's mercy at work in our life to, 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 to minister a word to us that would kind of wake me up a little bit and make me think for just a minute. Maybe some things are a little off and I need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. So the very first thing that he says is, is he says you have an appearance of being alive, but you're dead. And that is simply religion. That's the word that we would understand in our 
kind of our camp or our world, we would understand that there's a difference between having religion and relationship. That religion is built on appearance, but relationship is built on authenticity. We live in a social media world where we're more concerned about our picture on Instagram than we are our actual character. We're more concerned of what people think about our image than what our image really is in our home. That same culture has crept into the body of Christ in Sardis, and he says, you have an appearance of being alive, but you're not alive at all. You're fooling everybody else around you. The whole city celebrates you, church, because you look like everything's great, but you're actually dead. So what Jesus is saying is it's possible to be a body in the body of Christ. You can even be a local assembly in the body of Christ, and you can appear to everyone else around you that everything is going great, but there's nothing authentic really happening on the inside. Matter of fact, as people come in, life never really changes. They just keep moving on in their own sin and their own trespasses and their own destruction because there's nothing really life-changing about this church. It only has an appearance of life but it's actually dead. That is the antithesis of who Jesus is. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He said in John 10, 10, it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So this is the antithesis. Antithesis. This is the opposite of who Jesus is, and he's looking at his bride, at his church, and he's saying, you look like me on the outside, but on the inside, you're nothing like me. And so he gives this instruction to them. But I, I want to read, this isn't a, a first time that they've heard this. This isn't the first time that this has been written in the New Testament. We see also Paul giving instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. They don't love good. They're treacherous. They're reckless. They're swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he, he puts an end cap on all of this with this statement. He says, they will also have the appearance of godliness, but they'll deny its power. Now, deny its power, I've read that before, and I'm not saying that this isn't part of the truth. You know, we've tried to, you know, in our charismatic world, sometimes we've read this scripture and said that we've, we've called these people, you know, the Baptists, you know, or these are the Methodists, or these are the ones who they, they look like they're doing church, but there's no miracles. That's not exactly what this means. What this means is, is that, Anybody underneath the umbrella of Christianity that says that they have the appearance of Christianity, but the, deny the power means that nothing's changing on the inside. What he's addressing here in, in, in this verse and what he's addressing in Sardis is, is that you have an appearance of godliness going on, on the outside. You've done all the right things. You've answered the altar calls and you've been water baptized and you do all the systems and the programming is so right and you serve your community all of that stuff is the appearance of life, but there's no real transforming power going on, on the inside. You're living a gospel out that's from the outside in, and I've called you to live it out from the inside out. 
See, religion will make us focus more on performance, and we will cleanse our conscience by what we've done, not by who we are. And, I, and I'm not saying that, that, we, that we're all perfect or need to be perfect. That's actually the opposite of this, is that we've got to begin to understand that God wants to change me from the inside out. See, there's some people that stay, stay away from pursuing the things of God because they're not clean yet. I got news for you. You won't be clean until you turn to God. Now, the blood will wash you clean, and you'll have a new spirit. But how many of you know that you're going to wrestle in your soul, and you're going to wrestle in your flesh? But he wants to cleanse, and he wants to prepare me for his return by working something on the inside of me that's authentic and life-changing from the inside out. Amen? Have you ever um, done much research on vaccines? And we probably we may have doctors here or something, and I'm probably going to really mess this up. I apologize in advance. I'm going to give you the highlights of how a vaccine works. I've never thought I would want to know, but in light of everything going on today, I've used words and studied things that I never thought I would. I've never used words like epidemiology. I've never even thought about that word until things that are happening in our world today. But I, I, I just did a little research on vaccines, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty extraordinary, really. A vaccine... And I know we may have people that are against vaccines and all that. Please, this isn't a political statement or anything. This is just, this is just an illustration, okay? But a vaccine, the way that a vaccine works is they take antigens or cells from the real virus, and then they either weaken them or they kill them, and then they put it into the vaccine, inject it into your body to trick your body into believing that it has the real virus, but it's not really the real virus. It's the weakened form or dead form of the virus. And then your body responds to that vaccine with an, your immune system responds to fight off that. It's tricking your body into believing it's real. But what it's also doing is trying to make your body immune to the real. So that when the real does come, your body is now immune to the real and not affected by the real. That's religion. Religion has been injected into the body of Christ to trick you into believing it's real. But what it's all it's really doing is just building up an immune system in the body of Christ to the real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you've had Christ is what Jesus is saying. Now, I know that doesn't make sense, but that's what he's saying. You want Christianity, but you don't want Christ. You want community. You want the community of, of religion, but you don't really want me. You don't really want to surrender. You don't really want real. You want the appearance of real. You like the idea of serving me, but you don't really want to serve me. And that's religion. And that's what he's dealing with right here. So he gives some instructions real quick. He gives some instructions to this church that, that I think can help us all. And this isn't just something that we find here again in Sardis. We actually see this throughout the New Testament as Jesus himself spoke about things, warning his disciples. Even before he left, he was warning his disciples about these days. Not just his disciples, but also me and you as we read through these pages and listen to these warnings it's a warning for me and you. And the very first thing that he tells the church in Sardis is he tells them to wake up. Wake up. Now, there's something interesting about the history of Sardis. 
Sardis has actually been, had been conquered twice in a period of 200 years. Both times they were conquered by the enemy, they were conquered because the guards were asleep. They had actually gotten so confident and so overwhelmingly confident in how their city was built, they thought it would be impossible for the enemy to come in. And so they began to get very casual in their protection on and walking the wall and their security details and all that that entails. And they actually say that they actually were conquered because the guards went to sleep when they should have been watching. And the enemy was able to find secret passages into their city and they waited for the guards to go to sleep. They had been waiting for this moment for them just to get relaxed enough, overconfident in their own defense that they would go to sleep so the enemy could come in. So this statement to Sardis from Jesus, they know, they know what he's talking about. They, they, they know that when he says wake up, immediately their minds go to the fact that they were conquered before because of their guards not watching. And the, and the Christians there understand immediately what Jesus is saying. Wake up. That means that we're under attack. There's the, I'm fearful for some of the church and for some of us, I am a little fearful because we're going through life so confident in the sense of that because there's been no persecution, there's been no real spiritual maturity. Because there hasn't been much resistance in the body of Christ, there's a lot of immature Christians in the body of Christ and we would rather sleep than pray. We would rather sleep than really be devoted. We would rather slumber spiritually than be at high alert. And the reason is, is because we hadn't really seen much effect from the enemy before. And we've been so secure and confident. And we've just kind of been relying on Pastor Brett and Pastor Lisa. And they're going to lead us and the overseers. And they got it. Let them pray. I'm just going to kind of chill. They've got all of that we need. And we rely on everybody else to be devoted and passionate to Christ. But as believers, we've fallen asleep. Just kind of dozed off. I, I love a good snooze. I got a nine-minute snooze on my alarm. I love a good snooze. Like whenever I wake up in the mornings, I try to set it up for I have good, a good three snoozes. You know, so when I'm setting my alarm for the next morning, I like that snooze. I know it takes me a minute to kind of roll and stir. The problem is, is that I keep hitting snooze. Keep hitting snooze. Keep hitting snooze. Make you late for your appointment. And then you're stressed out and you're running around. Why? Because everything is a rush and I'm overwhelmed and I can't do this and I can't do that. All because I wouldn't wake up on time. You know, spiritually, it's the same thing happening in the body of Christ right now. Is we're sleeping and snoozing. We're just being lazy spiritually. You may be one of the hardest workers on your block, but spiritually you can still be asleep. You may be one of the most devoted people to your t-ball team and to everything else, and you may work harder on the PTO than any other mom, but all that's fine. But if I'm asleep spiritually, I'm not in good shape. We can have the appearance of doing great things, but really be asleep and dead on the inside. Amen? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 21. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Does that sound really familiar to what he just said in Sardis? He said, wake up, lest I come upon you like a thief. I got news for you that the body of Christ is not supposed to experience that. 
People say, well, no one knows the day or the hour. I know that, but we do know the season. And he's given us warnings throughout the, the epistles, and Jesus himself has given us warnings, and now we hear a warning here. Listen, I don't want to come on you like a thief. That happens to people who were asleep. You're not supposed to be asleep. You're supposed to be aware and watching and expecting about my appearing. Whenever I come, you need to be seeing me. But what he's saying is, is that there's going to be some in the church that fall asleep and aren't even aware of his return. That it just comes suddenly. And he says, no, that's not the attitude that I want you to have. I want you to be awake. He says, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. It says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. There's two main instructions that you're going to find in, prep, in preparing the body of Christ for the return of Christ. You're going to hear it from the words of Paul. You're going to hear it from Peter. You're going to hear it from Jesus himself. And it's these two main instructions. Number one, be awake. Number two, be sober. Two of the things that I feel like in our own church world, in my own life, that I have to wrestle against, when you're not persecuted, when you don't have resistance, when you don't have something that is coming against you spiritually, it is easier to A, be asleep, B, be drunk. Now, what does it mean to be drunk, to be, to be uh, drunk on the world? What it means is, is to be so drunk on worldly things that I'm not even sober enough to think spiritually. That I'm actually more consumed about this life than I am the life. That I'm so drunk on just the pleasures of this world. Matter of fact, I'm so aggravated and disappointed right now. We have a lot of believers who think you're being persecuted because you get quarantined in your house for 14 days with Netflix and donuts. That's not persecution. Right? But we have people who are so mad and frustrated, but the reason is, is not because we're being persecuted. It's because there's things that are disrupting our pleasures of this world. And he says, I need you to sober up. I need you to be awake. I need you to think clearly. So he says, wake up. The second thing that he tells them to do is remember. Remember. Now, this is different than the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, he told them to remember from where you had fallen. This is not the same remember to the church at Sardis. This is what he means by remember at the church of Sardis. What he's saying is, is remember me. Remember me. I know that seems like such an odd statement to tell a church to remember me. But it's, it, it is a statement that bears truth even in the world that we live in today that you can function as a church and not have Christ. The, the Lord's Supper, the, the communion table that we get, gather around, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because he knew that it would be really easy for a church that gets comfortable, unpersecuted, and, and there's no resistance, it would be really easy to forget who brought you, who blessed you, who redeemed you, 
it'd be really easy to remember the reason why and who we serve and why we live this way and why we do these things and that when we worship, we want him right in the middle of our praises. We want him to build his throne and we want to give him liberty and we want to worship him and serve him and live for him that I don't want to just wear a Christian t-shirt. I want to wear Christ. And I feel like this is a statement that he's speaking to the church at Sardis, but I, I personally believe, and I am one. I am an American believer. I am a part of a, I'm a pastoring a church in the United States of America, but I can, I've been in ministry for about 26 years, and I can tell you that I have seen a lulling to sleep in the body of Christ. We don't want to pray. We don't really want to pursue and do things for the Lord we would rather sleep and be drunk on the world and have an appearance of really giving Christ our life but not really giving him our life he says remember 2 Timothy 1.5 says I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you for this reason I remind you, he says, Timothy, remember to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What is he telling Timothy? All these last days instructions. And he says, but also remember to fan into flame the gifts that I've put on the inside of you. That it's going to be real easy to rely on your own skills and on your own things. It's going to be real easy to rely on your finances and on all the investments you've made. It's going to be real easy to rely on all the information you've read and learned over the years in the scripture, you're going to study and you're going to grow in knowledge and understanding. And it's going to be real easy to rely on all that stuff. But don't forget me in you. The last day's church has got to be a Holy Spirit church that is relying on Christ working in them and leading them by the Holy Spirit. We've got to be a church who will who will not be so quick to rely on my own performance and on my own abilities. Listen, I love this worship team, but one of the greatest reasons why I love this worship team and the culture here is because they're not trying to do this in their own ability. They're relying on the Holy Spirit to show up and to minister to the people as they lead people into worship. But it's not that case in every church. We would rather have a performance and we would rather have all these bells and whistles and have all these things, but why have all of that if he isn't here? And he says, remember, in Deuteronomy, when the Lord gives the law to the children of Israel and he gives the blessings to the children of Israel and the cursing and he's, he's explaining all of these things that he wants them to do, one of the things he reminds them of over and over and over again is he says, I want you to teach what happened in Egypt to your children. And I want you to explain to them that I brought you out of Egypt, that you're here because I was there. But he says, be careful lest you forget me. Why does he say that? Because he knows it is our tendency, the further away that we get from a life-changing experience, to forget who changed our life. The further away that we get from World War II, the less the less we remember about the men and women who sacrificed for us. The further away that we get from the American Revolution, the further away we get and remember the history of our country. It's that way in everything. The further away we get from moments in time, it's easy as I get blessed and I'm 
prospering and I'm doing good, it's easy for me to forget the person who actually was responsible. And I know it seems crazy that we would not that we would forget Jesus, but we can. We can forget him right in the middle of it. And the last thing that he tells them to do is he tells them to turn back to me. He says, repent. Repent. Repentance is a word that we struggle with as believers, and it goes back to religion. The reason why we struggle with repentance is because we struggle with reputation. He starts the letter off by saying, you have an appearance of being alive, but you're actually dead. What he's saying is, is you got a great reputation, but I need you, to, I need you to, to lay aside your reputation, and I need you to turn back to me. The reason why it's sometimes really hard and difficult for us is, is the longer that we've been serving, we should feel like we're further past a moment where we should have to repent. But can I just encourage you that repentance is not a bad thing. It's something that we should do every day. But the longer I wait to repent, the harder it's going to be because I'm more concerned about my reputation. And he says the very thing that you're relying on is actually killing you. And the very thing that will bring you back into times of refreshing and heal you and prepare you is the very thing that you're running from because you're afraid of what everybody else is going to think about you. Repentance is simply a turning back. It's not even a fixing everything. We think repentance is, is that I'm going to repent and then no more struggles. No, that's, that's not it at all. Repentance is a heart thing. It's a turning back to God. In Acts 3.19, he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know what I believe God's getting ready to do in the body of Christ? I believe he's getting ready to send times of refreshing. But I believe that it'll be preceded by a wave of repentance. That when we repent and we turn back to him, we'll experience a refreshing like we've never seen before. What did, he, what did he end with at the church at Sardis? This parallel is so good. He told the church at Sardis, he says, for those who don't soil their garments, those that'll wake up, those that'll strengthen what remains before it dies, those that'll hear these words, I will walk with you. You know what happens when Jesus walks with you? You're refreshed heart burns on the inside like the two disciples on the way to Emmaus when they spent time with the Lord they said didn't our hearts burn with him how long has it been since your heart burned for him how long has it been since you felt refreshed in the presence of the Lord we're looking for answers but I'm telling you he's the answer we're trying to fix things and we're trying to do it quietly and sometimes I'm telling you it's not quiet beckoning us there's probably people here that you would that you that you're good and this is how you live and I know that's the case here I know there's a lot of really mature Christians and you've been repentive and or maybe you're fresh off of just getting your life right and you your your heart's just beating because you know this is an experience that you've been walking through but I've been through seasons of my life where I feel like I've been numb to this experience because I've relied more on the appearance of everything being okay and really not being okay. And, and, and here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I'm not going to ask you to come up. This is what I've done the last couple of services that we've preached some messages like this. And repentance 
repentance is a heart thing. I want to ask you just to close your eyes for just a second. And I want you just to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. I want you to hear the words today. I want you to hear the words today. Father, forgive us. Lord, forgive me for for making this about anything else but you. Forgive me, Lord, for being caught up in appearance or reputation. Forgive me for being drunk on the world or asleep. Lord, I repent. Turn my heart towards you. Lord, I don't know if I can, I I know I can't fix this on my own. I know I need your help. James 4, 8 says that if I'll draw near to you, you'll draw near to me. My hands will be cleansed and my heart will turn I don't know that I can fix everything, but I know you can. And so, Lord, I turn to you today. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes me clean. Come on, and if if you're in here today and maybe you're distant from a relationship with the Lord or maybe you've never been saved before, listen, just right now on this altar of your seat, just begin to cry out to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me. receive that today. I need that forgiveness, Lord. I'm so grateful for it. I surrender my life. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I surrender to you, and I'm asking you to help me live for you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving, healing, setting me free. Lord, today we also pray for the body of Christ around the world. We thank you for a mighty move of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for a move of repentance. I pray that people hear the things of God that the Spirit is saying. But Lord, we also thank you for times of refreshing, that even this morning, weights are being destroyed off of people's hearts and lives. And And we pray right now that there be a refreshing in this place. There'd be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit right now that refreshes Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I want you to look at me for just a second. First John 1 9 says to confess your sins to him, and he's faithful and just to forgive you. In James, there's another important part to the healing process and the freedom process, and it is confess your faults one to another so that you can be healed. I want to encourage you, if you've made decisions today or if you've responded in your heart today, one of the worst things you can do is just take that back and hold that to yourself. The greatest thing you can do is grab one of these leaders, grab the pastor, grab one of these prayer warriors that are here and tell them, I've made a decision today. I surrendered some things today. I had to repent today. And pray and ask the Lord for some healing. Let them pray over you and believe that he's also going to bring some freedom to your soul today. Amen. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Come on, somebody.